Hi, I'm Louis Kayi, and you're listening to Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle. Today, I'm speaking to legendary doubles coach, Louis Kaye. Louis has achieved great results with Canadian doubles players and more recently with the British. In 2012, he helped Jonathan Murray become the first British double slam champion since 1936. And since then, there's been countless more. The Brits are forced in every doubles draw and never far away from the title. Louis tells us all about his coaching philosophy, tips to improve your doubles and much more. Absolutely love this chat and I know you will too. As usual, before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Slinger. Head over to slingerbag.com to get all the latest info on the Slinger bag and see if they ship to your country. Okay, now over to Louis. Hi, Louis. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Very, very fine. I'm just arrived in New York, so all's good. And hope you're doing well also, Fabio. I'm doing really well. So you just arrived. Did you have a PCR test, is it? Yeah, but it, they are easier now. It was a Saliva one. So I hate the one where they put it in your throat and then in your nose. So that's quite easy. You just put a certain amount of saliva on a tube and you do your PCR test, I guess. So it's really good. Well, that's that's great. Speeds things up. And yeah, I definitely, there's the nose thing, the throat thing. I actually prefer the nose over the throat. I think the throat's worse, but anyway. So how long do you have to wait before you can get out and check out your guys and ladies? I already got it because I succeeded to have it last night just before our it was closing at 9 p.m. I arrived there at 8.55 p.m. Got it done and right away at 8 a.m. this morning at the result. So that's quite good. Uh, and right after a podcast, I'll go, going to go get my credential and then aim to the site. Ah, brilliant. So it's even more special to have you on board here. So how many players are you looking after at the Open this year? Uh, seven players. So the, I'm in charge of the top 100 doubles players. And uh, there are seven now playing the U.S. Open. So that's... That's quite a lot of job at the beginning because often at the beginning, they will try to practice twice a day. So like tomorrow, I'm pretty sure I'll start around 9 a.m. until 8 p.m. But that's okay. You know, I prefer to be active and on the court than not. And uh, hopefully, um, I want to be that busy in the second week. So Nice. Yeah. And tell me, do, they, do some of them practice together or, and are any of them playing together? I'm not really trying to make them practice together because when they practice together, my attention is spread out. Too much. I prefer to uh, have them practice with uh, other teams and have my Zoom concentration on one on one team than to be at the post and try to help two teams. If it was a training camp, let's say at the National Center, then that's fine. But uh, before I pick like the U.S. Open, each player want uh, and I want also to deliver my my full attention to them. Nice. And are any of them playing together? Uh, there are only, I think, Luke Bambridge and Ken Skupski who play together. But the other, Joe Salisbury, play with uh, Rajiv Ram. And Neil Skupski will play with Jack Suck. So that will be interesting because Jack Suck, as we know, is a great player, but he was injured and now he's getting back. Then uh, we have uh, Dominic England playing with Krychek, an American who is doing very well lately. Uh, Luke play with Ken and Johnny O'Mara is playing with Kureshi. So we just have uh, two British playing together. And all the others have uh, good partners. Well, we've had Neil and Ken on the podcast before. Neil's had a good run. This is really improved more recently. Ken's had some good results as well. 
How I remember I said I briefly mentioned Australia, but there was a match that day that I watched was it was Luke and Johnny against Jamie and it was Jamie playing with Bruno at the time. Yeah, they, they right. gave them, uh, Luke and Johnny was a set up and I think maybe even up in the second until yeah. suddenly Jamie get kind of angry, like super and took charge and come in of the match because he really didn't want to lose to, to them, you know, because Jamie yeah. was already established like the double star in UK and these two good players, but they were young, 23, 22. There was no way you wanted to lose to them. So it was nice to see him raise his game like a double notch in order to be able to beat them. But it was a great match. Yeah, it was great. He was the difference in the end. That's what I thought. And he was amazing. But we're going to talk about your philosophy in a while. But with your philosophy and all the guys know, you know, you've taught them how to play doubles. How tricky are those doubles matches? Do they turn into a chess match where everybody knows what everybody's doing? Yeah, because first they know each other, because I think what's nice with the British players, uh, part of their culture, it's to support each other. So they go watch each other. So first they know how they play. Plus they know the specificity of it, which I don't want to share with everybody here, but they know like on that type of serve, it's a uh, tennis percentage wise better to return there. And it's better this and that plays better. And when you have a first volley against at the back, the best place is to go there. So they know all these things and they do it to themselves. So when they play each other, it's either one team wants to surprise the other one, and that will be mostly the team is a bit underdog who wants to show a different look, or they know that it, they will play both the same, and it will come down to execution, mental toughness, and the best team to execute will win. So it's always interesting for me to watch, will they play all the basics, the same and the best under pressure wins, or will one like bring a, a lot of variation that nobody knows they will do in that match? It's interesting. Uh, it's great. No, I can, I can, I could see the tension there. I could see the tension beforehand, and it's. It, I'm sure it just gets better and better as the rounds go on. But would you say you've seven players now? You're taking charge of. Do you have a favorite child? Uh, I don't have a favorite child. <laughs> I love every child the same. But uh, I have to put a like a system in place to avoid like a. Why is he going there? He should have seen me. So unfortunately, the only one. That works and nobody suggests something different. I go by ranking. So right now, let's say all of them practice at uh, one o'clock this afternoon, but then I will go to Joe Salisbury because of his ranking, then Neil Skupski, then Jamie Murray, then so on. So I'm going to go by the ranking. And unless someone gives me a better option, that's the one. And same thing for the match. If two play at the same time, I'm going to go with the ranking. Of course, I can use a bit my judgment. Let's say one team just win. A six to the first set and the other team is middle of the third set. I mean, just shift quickly. But uh, overall, I, I just follow the ranking for both practices and matches. So that makes life easier for everybody. There's a rule in place and that's just the way you operate. So it's good to have those clear boundaries. And we have a WhatsApp group, which is very nice of them. So like uh, Joe Salisbury is aware of it. He will try to get this practice court as early as possible. Put in the chat, hey guys, I'm practicing at one. So if Neil Skupski wants to join his practice, which he, he does, but he will go and quickly book like a 2 or 3 p.m., he put it on the chat. So if Johnny O'Mara wants me to join, you know, that one and three, well, I will go to their courts before his court. So he will book at five, then he'll put it so and so and so on. So they try to spread it out. And sometimes it's not possible, but at least there's a very genuine cooperation between them to let each other uh, use my services when it's possible. Nice, very nice. And do you ever work with any singles guys? 
Not, not really, because there's too much uh, work on that. Sometimes I'm a consultant at the National Tennis Center to provide some feedback on sort of footwork or whatever, whatever things. It could be even some on the woman's side or the men's side, but uh, I would not act as a coach at all. And also the singles players are more demanding. You'll never <laughs> see seven singles players spreading like one coach and stuff like this. So, and and uh, I would have to travel more, which I don't want anymore since I have a child. I used to travel like nine months a year, and now I'm traveling like five months. So the four months that I drop, I put it in the coaching certification. For the nice. uh, for you for Great Britain, um, so that's it. So doubles, they they it, it's fine like this, and singles it will not be that fine. Yeah, well, and you mentioned consultancy there. You did a bit of work in Ireland a long time ago. Yeah, a long time, the nineties. Wow, and what were we just consulting on coaching? What was it? Just a little bit, like to see uh, their coaching certification to bring like a coaching methodology. Also, I give I give like a few training camps. Maybe they wanted to see how I do it, like a like a role model. Yeah, they were just like, "Could you come and do this? Could you come and do that?" I say, "Yes, I was doing it." But one interesting fact: I remember coaching a group of junior at like a camp, and yeah. I say, "Okay, who are Irish tennis players, especially juniors? Who are they?" So a little girl raised her hand. She said, "We are feisty. We run everything. We fight every point." And so, so wow, she kept going and. Say wow, I, I really like that. Very good. So then I started to camp, but that little girl, twelve years old, really impressed me. When I arrived at the UK, they asked me to help on the Fed Cup, and uh, Nigel Sears said, "Could you help that guy, that girl?" It was Claire Curran, that little girl of twelve years old. Oh, yeah. I saw her this year. I said, "Claire, I said, I saw you were at the camp." I said, "Don't tell me you were you that little girl who said that." Said, yeah, yeah, that was me. So it was uh, quite cute to see that. And I helped, her, uh, I helped her to finish her career with the Fed Cup and doubles. Yeah. She was definitely one of the more successful Irish ladies more recently. I know it's a long time ago, but she's a great career now presenting on BBC, doesn't she? Yeah, she presents. Also, she uh, she's helping the Fed Cup for the doubles. So she, she stays as a consultant for the doubles on the women's side. That's good for her. So good job there. I, I did a bit of, I, well, I didn't do it, but just did very, I put your name to Google and I came across three words very quickly. The mastermind, the guru and the professor. I'm sure if I dig deeper, I'd find a lot more words describing me. But th- these are all based towards doubles and your love of tennis stats and your love of tennis. But where did your love for tennis and for doubles more specifically come from? Oh, there's always some word like, like me, athleticism. And I, I really struggle with that word. So well, first, my love of coaching. I think I always liked that. When I was coaching at tennis park in Montreal at 16, I would not even take my hour lunch or have my sandwich and keep helping kids on the court. I really always loved that. And uh always loved coaching. And the, the park I was teaching was winning the Interpark. So the director of the tennis Montreal say, Oh, you look like, and I was playing okay. So he put me in charge of the elite of the parts of Montreal in a place and they start to have a provincial ranking. So then the province look at that, say, how come there's players coming from this park? He said, it's okay. They put me with the provincial camp. Then I became provincial coach and national coach and Davis Cup coach and then Davis Cup captain. It's always, always have a passion to that. And I study in education. And I was a school teacher in the ninth grade. And then, uh, and then I teach also for one year at university in geography. And I, like I said, I studied in education 
And then I applied that to tennis and I create a bit the action method, which is a game-based approach coaching. So I always have a, a passion for coaching that didn't stop doubles. It's just, uh, it just happened that I developed players who became number one and, uh, Lawan started winning the gold medal and suddenly I had the reputation that like in Canada at one point, three of the top five teams in the world were from Canada. It was Nestor with Moe's, Lava with O'Brien, and, um, and there was Connell Michibata. Anyway, so suddenly I had already a sticker of doubles yeah. expert and people asked me to present on doubles. And because I create a system, a real, a real system, because I studied geography, so I knew how to look at space. And I said, why do people cross when they poach? They should just be in the middle of the court and that's enough. So they could uh, delay their poaching. These guys are better and be more efficient. And I put ropes with the players on the court to help them. Then people see me presenting to players with ropes, say, hey, you should do that in the conference. Then I started to present that conference and it got very popular and, and so on and so on. And when the LTR me, they say, we have already a lot of top coaches and singles. They had Galbraith, Anacone, Long Green. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it was crazy. But they say, we would like also to be successful in doubles. So you have a, a good background in doubles. Would you like that? Could you, do you think can help to bring two players in the top 100? We didn't have any top doubles player since Edmund in 2000. So it's about seven years. We don't have a top 100 player. So I say, yeah, I could try to bring quickly two players in the top 100 in 2007. Since then, we had 20 and, and many like top 20 even. So, so that was a very, very, and more you're successful in something, more you're labeled, branded. And now I'm branded doubles coach, like if I cannot coach singles. And by the way, singles is much easier than doubles. Take that to every people, every guys who play singles. Sorry, but doubles is much more complicated tactically. Much more things that can happen, much more variations. Definitely at, the, at that level, there's so much going on. It's, as I said, it's a game of chess. Yeah. But uh, singles, of course, is so much more athletic, so much more physical. They're running side to side and stuff. I guess it's a, I, I think singles players could be indeed like better players, which mean like in singles, but we know that top doubles players can be top singles players too. It's a different game. We should just respect the athletic aspect of singles and we should uh, as, uh, respect the complexity of doubles with all the, the movement, the poaching, the disguise, the variation and shot selection when there's so many composure of what the opponents can do. I agree. And it's great to see like this better singles guys. I don't know, like the younger guys, Sinner, uh, who's a Shapovalov playing a lot of doubles and like I know Shapovalov playing with Rohan Bopana and it's just great to see them learning because ultimately it's going to improve their singles game and I really love seeing that I think a lot more of them should be doing it and because they can gain you, you'll probably confirm this how much they can gain from being on the doubles court with an experienced player yeah I, I think that I recommend that in clubs you were thinking, saying that some uh, club members will listen to that I would put personally if I was coaching in clubs and I did, and it was successful. You put a singles players and a doubles players together, and that uh, that's a very good combo. Uh, because especially in the club, if you put two really net players, normally to be very good at club level at the net, you have to be close. So you put two, they're, they're too easy. They will get loved too easily. Then sometimes they don't have the, the ground stroke to set up the good net player. And uh, anyway, you put a good singles players and a good doubles players together and they will do very well in the doubles league. True, but on the main tour, it, from looking at matches, it may, if you get two pro double experts, they always seem to grind out the wins. Oh, you know, when it gets close over a single, a really good singles guy and a really good doubles guy. 
Yeah, but uh, it's very often is because like uh, in the in the slams, the top singles players don't want to play doubles, so you you really have that. But in the Masters, it's uh, okay. Joe Salisbury last week in Toronto, Montreal, became the first British player ever to win a Masters. Wow. But we have already a lot of players won slam, starting with John, Johnny Murray in 19, uh, 2012, and then uh, Murray, then Salisbury. So and so we had more slams won than Masters, because in Masters, the top singles players are playing, and very often they make a, like a, some good upset. They're tough. But anyway, the, the thing is, you know, like it's all the debate. Can uh, Andy Murray and Novak beat a top doubles team? Yes. Can the top doubles team beat them? Yes. So it's not well, like, uh, who is better? They, they are a great player and good doubles players are a great player. And we should never lose the fact that it's not just about tennis. It's about the performer. It's about how people uh, deal with pressure. So these guys like Novak and Andy Murray maybe will make like an amazing return on their pressure because they are champions. So when you put champions on the court, two singles champion and two doubles champion, you know, it's kind of uh, almost 50-50. And I think that's what would happen. You know, singles players can win, doubles players can win. You should not say uh, one is stronger or the other one is stronger. I think they're both, they're all four like great players. And anything can happen on a given day. That's really interesting what you said about Joel Salisbury. I didn't know that, that the Masters, I hadn't really thought about it like that. So that's kind of really interesting. And tell me, you say you started with the LTA in 2007. Was it Judy Murray who dragged you over? And not drag, but help me. So, okay. <laughs> what drag me is love. Okay. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, no. but, uh, I did a conference in 2001 in the UK. I met, uh, who is my wife now. She came to live in Canada, but her children didn't like, uh, the snow. They didn't like to have to go in French, uh, study in French because they would have missed one year of school. So they decided to come back uh, to London with their uh, father. <clears throat> so then my Stella left. To join them and then I had the choice to stay in Canada and say okay goodbye or to follow so I choose to go over there and let's say Judy Murray really opens me the door because I was uh, having a contract with the Israeli I was doing conference I was doing a living still traveling but it was mm-hmm. getting more and more difficult to go to UK I was stopped at the custom how come you're coming here they were thinking I was working there as a tennis coach so to get a job and to have a working permit in UK was starting to become like a necessity and uh, Judy Marie really helped me to open the door to the LTA and then I started to have a working permit there and now I'm a, a full-time resident of uh, Great Britain. Nice, so you've, you did a great job with obviously Jamie was one of your first projects and he, you know, Grand Slam champion multiple times. It's really unbelievable what you did with him. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. But like your philosophy, your pillars, let's, I know you don't share everything. There's a lot of secrecy, which, you know, that's your advantage. But maybe you can share with us bits and pieces that maybe, you know, that you share with your players and that would help other players as well. Uh, what would you like to know exactly? 
how can we be better? Like, what's the difference? Like Rajiv Ram, I couldn't find the exact quote, but he was talking about how, you know, the job you've done with British doubles players. He goes, if it wasn't for you and the commitment you've made and what you taught them, and they would have stuck to singles, they would have not had the career anywhere near how they've had as good as doubles career. So what I've learned is you extract as much as possible out of players. You make them better than they could ever be. Uh, obviously, you make them think on court better. You make them make the right decisions. So what's the, the secret behind all that? Because too many times tennis players are guilty of not achieving as well as they can. But you certainly have done that with many British players. Yeah, I will touch wood because so far it's almost like a 100% success because I cannot work with 100% 100 player at the time. So let's say when I start with the batch, like the previous batch, Ross Hutchins, Colin Fleming, Johnny Murray and all this, they all became top 20. Then when they retire, I take a new batch and they all like uh, succeed too. So so it works It works very well. And in the past in Canada, it works very well too. So the there's a few things. First one, I install very quickly that it's who we are that will make us great and not what we do and what we have. So it's not because you have a foreign, it's not because you have a serve, it's not because you know how to play and where to stand that will make you a champion. It's who you are, which is being your identity, your beliefs, your values, your mindset, your attitude on the court and all this. So I install very quickly, even from the first lesson, uh, the attitude of high positive energy to go to each other, pump fist. They have to leave each other with a little stutter step to kind of run to the net to always display that uh, high positive energy. We say like a partner before the ball. We even do that with the 12 and under. And they have a uh, internationally a, a rate of success of thing of 89%. They win like nine months out of 10, which help our 12 and 14 years old team to always finish two or three in the world. Cause when they split the singles, the doubles wins almost all the time. So let's say, uh, there's one at the net, one at the back, and the person at the ball and, and to the net. They don't pick up the ball first. They go toward their partner to get the energy, and then they go pick up the ball. So it's a partner first, ball after, three-second rule to get to your partner. So we, we I developed that, and, uh, and, and they really get it very quickly. That's it's important because I videotape and I chart every match, but if they didn't perform, like bring high positive energy and all do this, I give no feedback at the end. I say the, the performer was not there. So next match, if the performer is there, I'll give you feedback to the tennis player. So I, I, I make these two words, performer and tennis player. Okay, so performer is the most important. Until we nail that, I won't give you feedback on the tennis player. So if I succeed that, and I, you have also to be a performer in practice, which is discipline, work ethic, concentration, focus. And I think if you go watch any... British doubles player, you'll see they, they're really, really disciplined and practice. They focus very well. So I installed that and very often it takes two, three months to really get it set up. But when this is done, then the tennis part goes so quickly, so quickly. So that I do that. Then on the tennis side, I, I, I propose like a very simple things like play within yourself, the basics. So it, and it's not about us winning. It's about us making people lose. So how do you make people lose when they try low percentage shot? So we protect the court. So if they beat us, they have to play like sharp angles on the line and they have to hit hard on a low target. So of course they're going to miss a lot. Uh, we make them play bad also by make them anxious. So they get tight, nervous, focus on the outcome. Why? 
we create a lot of uncertainty with the movement, a lot of poaching, uh, a lot of variation on everything. So the, you, we create a state of uh, stress, uncertainty. And if they're not very disciplined in their mind, they start to get worried about the outcome, what's going on on the other side. And they start to miss a lot. And when they start to miss a lot, they start to be unhappy. When they're unhappy, they start to play bad. When they start to play bad, game's over. You know, so, uh, so it's, it's, it's really a mentality that we won't win because we do aces. Winners on return, we're going to win because we play solid within ourselves and create so much uncertainty and variation that uh, we destabilize our opponents. That philosophy, uh, I apply it also at the Nantalan Tennis Club in Montreal. And I remember the last year I've done that. All the interclubs, level one, two, three, four, they all win the league because it was the same type of approach. Uh, support each other, you know, like a, it's a, if, a, if a lady in the underclub misses a shot, the partner goes with, I can't come on the next one. So we were creating a, like a really, really peak performance state, and which is without it, it's so tough to play and with it, uh, you're tough to beat. And you have a book. Is all this philosophy in your book? The book was uh, a mandate by the ITF. It was to give like recipe, like 100 drills, which I really dislike it. But, you know, the ITF asked me to do that. If I didn't do it, someone else would have done it. So I prefer to do it myself. Yeah. There's a, a preface where I talk about it. I talk about uh, a bit all this, this important. But the best thing is to take the, the, the DVD, uh, Tennis okay. Doubles Tactics, because uh, uh, it's a 30 minutes uh, DVD on doubles where you will see I put I use the ropes to show the territory. I put markers on the ground. I talk uh, quite a lot about all the basics of doubles. And I think as soon as you have these basics, uh, you, your your performance go quickly. I know like a lot in tennis university in the USA, <clears throat> they say how quick their performance improve. And and personally, when I take a, a new Brit and I show them that, like I just start with a, a new British players is already 80. It, it goes very quickly just with the, the basics. After that, to get like top 20 and win a slam, it's more than positioning. But uh, when you know uh, very well where to stand and how to make opponents make tough shots, uh, your ranking goes very, very quickly. So the, the video is the DVD and it's free on the internet. Just double Louis K. Doubles Tactics. You'll have some links and just look at it. You know, it's, it's free and it, it's going to be very useful for you. We'll include it here. It, it, I think, as I mentioned to you before this, that a lot of people, as you get older, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s, you play a lot more doubles and you, you want to be competitive because you can't move as well in singles. You're playing younger guys, but you can still, if you know these tactics, they can help and, as you say, cause uncertainty, uh, make them think, make them anxious. And then all of a sudden it's a, you know, it's a fallen house of cards and you've won. But if I heard if I heard you say things like first volley to the backhand, not two forehands in a row, is that sort of stuff? So uh, very often when there's two players at the baseline, people think they can volley anywhere. And then they volley to the forehands and balls come very hard. And they just block it back to another forehands and then they get beaten. So it's very important to be disciplined to volley. And the best backhand to reach, if the two players are quite same level, is the do side player backhand. Because then it's a backhand from the middle of the court. They have no angles, really. Yeah, It's very difficult. And as soon as the ball comes from that player, you volley behind him and points over. So, the, so yeah, if you're very disciplined and you volley well to, to the backhand, you just have to watch a British player. You will see if they play singles players. Singles players won't have the, the, the chance to use all of their forehands. The, the volley will go to the backhand until they have a chance to, to clean the net. 
So there's there's a lot of uh, patterns that uh, you can you can train, and uh, yeah. So the the key thing is to learn some, and then you learn others. So the challenge with the club member is that they will have, let's say, a, a training once a week as a mm-hmm. professional. They have like six training in a week. So after yeah. two weeks, they have uh, done like 12 trainings, take uh, three months for a, a member to do. So we can develop, of course, a, a player much quicker at the pro level because uh, we can train every day compared to a, a club member. But uh, if a club member chooses a good coach and he, he even goes to twice a week, he can progress very, very quickly. I agree. I'll- I'll have to get Dave O'Hare, who we've had on the show here before, to show me a few of the patterns next time he's back. <laughs> yeah, Dave is an excellent coach. Very nice. Uh, how can we get Dave O'Hare back on the tour? I, I think he wants to go back. A bit of him wants to go back on. We need to drag him back on for a while. Yeah, but he will be, I think, a lot of players will want him. You just have to be sure he makes himself available and uh, and people know that. <clears throat> because I think also, I say, I really believe like, a champion, it's who he is before what he does. Because a lot of players know how to serve hard, how to return, how to at the foreign. Mm. So why is Novak winning in the Federer? And okay, Federer, you could say he plays so much better. But uh, there's a lot of guys, you know, like uh, who wins because they are fighters, because they are yeah. winners. And uh, so it's who you are. And I think as a coach, it's a bit the same thing. Personally, I know myself, I know I'm very competitive. If players lose, I uh, almost trouble to sleep at night. Say, gee, what did I miss? What did I should have said in the game plan? What did the opponent did? How come we, they make so many points on that? I have to fix that. I have to work on that. And it's a nonstop, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's always striving to be the best you can be as, as a, a coach. But if you don't have that type of value or mindset, it's hard to install it with your players because that's yeah. what I try to install in a player to never stop improving, you know, like a constant and never ending improvement of Anthony Robbins. Like you always strive to be better. Always, 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 always. And if you don't have it, it's hard to make speech. See better every day. But you you have to have the values of excellence, work ethic. Players know that I work. I I send them like sometime video report at 3 a.m. or like just now Neil and Ken, they they lost in once in Salon. Middle of the night, I wake up, look for, okay, their match should be over. So I looked right away, so they just lost 10-7, said, tough luck, guys, give me a little voice note. So they, they know that that you care. And, uh, you know, if I remember also from uh, the, the quote of the basketball coach, Gooden, I think, forget his name exactly, people care what you know when, when they know that you care. So if, as a coach, you don't believe in your player, you don't care about the player, and you don't also strive to be the best you can be to make them the best they can be, mm. That's all being type of, it's not what I know, it's what I do, it's who I am that uh, helps to make a difference. And I think uh, Dave Ware is a type of guy like this also that he has calm but confidence and he can make a difference and really inspire his players to, to achieve great things. But it's always come back to the people, you know. Yeah. If, if the Federation wants to be successful, just just hire the right people. So it's not just knowledge, it's about uh it's about character, it's about beliefs, about values. So I, I think sometimes you may think you've the right person. You don't you know, sometimes you have to try stuff and it doesn't work out and everything fails. And I think it it can be tough to get right, but obviously if you get it right like the LTA have got it right with you, then the long term effects, you know, success breeds more success. And obviously the next batch of kids 
they don't want to win one or two slams. They want to win more. They want to be better than Murray. They want to be better than Salisbury. Like so, Joe is only what twenty eight, twenty nine, is he? Or is he third? Think he has another ten strong years minimum ahead of him, which is amazing. Like, and so happy to see that. But yeah, no, thank you, Louis, very much for jumping on. It's you've given me confidence now to get out there or urgency more to get out there and work a bit more my doubles game and you know we always we always want to learn be it learn for work day-to-day job or on tennis court I'm always trying to learn and thank you very much just one question did you have a mentor at all or was everything from within you who did you look up to at every moment of my development I was always focusing on, on one aspect of something and suddenly, you know, like uh, the work of Anthony Robbins was really clicking with me. And I start to read, listen, do everything he was doing in order to be better at the level of beliefs, values, attitude and mindset, because I, I really believe it was that. On the tennis side, it was a Swiss guy who did the, called the action method, but for beginners. And I apply it for advanced. Then Sean Bourne in Germany, because I thought I was passionate about tennis. And when... He came to Canada and I was his host across the country. I had to wave a white flag because he would talk tennis from 5 a.m. to 3 a.m. nonstop. And I just couldn't, couldn't match his intensity and his passion about tennis. And I, so I realized that, wow, I thought I was passionate, but not even 50% of that guy. And he was really inspiring me and being a bit more scientific in the process of coaching and to be uh, very, very knowledgeable as much as I could. And, and every time there was someone else coming in and uh, making a difference in my life and uh, always open to learn. And same thing, sometimes I go to in front of a library and I just there and there's a book appealing to me and I take it and it was the right book at the moment. So I'm always striving to, to learn and I'm always open. But uh, one thing that's very important, you know, you talk about decisions and all that. It's always to overcome your fear. So your, your, uh, your podcast listeners, if they play doubles, I know the three most common fears that they have to overcome, uh, fear of getting love, the fear of getting passed in a tram line, fear of getting hit, <laughs> fear of missing. And I think until they have overcome these fears and sometimes a coach can help that. And, uh, for example, fear of lobbying, I won't, I would not go through all the fears. But you know, there's a service line, which is not the baseline. And I, I, I will convince you that if you cross the service line before a love, which is a slow ball, you cannot mm-hmm. be loved. Because very often it comes from a misbelief that you have to run to the baseline to make a smash. But in fact, if you just cross the service line before a love, you can intercept every love in the game. So you change a bit uh, these, these uh, things. And suddenly the players start to play so much better. Or you change a position at the net like me now, 68. I would not play as close as when I was 22. So uh, you'll change so you can cross that service line sooner. And I say it's easier to run forward for me now than to run backward. And, uh, but you change that. And to, if, if you, if you dismantle a bit these fears, you're at the club level. Uh, you can go very, very, very quickly. Uh, there and for the uh, fear to get beat in the tram line, I think you probably have heard before. We have a rule in British tennis: if you get beat three times in the tram line, then you start to protect it. Okay. Now, I've coached, like I say, twenty 
British doubles person before Canadian. And uh, it never happened once. Never happened once that he got beat three times on the tramline by the same player uh, when they, they put pressure on return of serve. So that the, that the guy have to volley in the tramline, it uh, didn't happen. So suddenly you break that fear and you make them even put more pressure in the middle, which make the volleyer miss. So it's, it's very important. So for the coaches also who listen to me, tackle these fears because even at the pro level, they have that. And until they are removed, you cannot uh, maximize their potential. Yeah, some wise words. And so there's a lot of gains for the recreational players out there and for pro players out there in the doubles game, which is amazing. I do love Louis when I played doubles with some of the guys who went to States in the college. He went to college in the States, either be with Dave, with uh, whoever else. They always come back with good doubles fundamentals and they just take, they lead on the court uh, and it's just, it's playing doubles with these guys is effortless. I know you add another layer or two or three to that, but when somebody's so commanding on the court, they know where to do, know where to stand. You just don't, you're like a robot. Just do what you're told and we win today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, yeah, but it, it helps to know what you're, what you're doing, you know? Like, uh, personally, uh, yeah, if you serve and you go somewhere, I say, what is he doing? You know, like, uh, for me, it makes so much sense to be there or there instead of there or there. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a great sport. It's a team sport. Personally, I like it. Personally, I feel as a coach that it's more challenging than singles because when I coach, let's say, uh, Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram, I have to help Joe to peak perform, maximize his strength and stuff like this. Same thing with Rajiv. And then I have to do same thing with the team because the team has to gel and they have to have yeah, team yeah. plays. So not just individual play. And when I scout the opponent, I have to scout the deuce player, the ad player and how they play as a team. So it's almost like three against three. So it's so much, there's a lot of uh, things going on. And uh, I like the complexity of it. And I, I think it's uh, it challenged me even more than coaching singles. And I really like it. Well, thank you very much, Lou. I don't want uh, Neil Scopsy messaging me now. What are you doing taking up my coaching time here? <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you very much. I wish you all the success in New York. And... In the future, I'm sure there's many more slams to come for you guys. Hope so. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Fabio. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Louis. It was fantastic to have him on the show. I learned so much and I can't actually wait to get out to the doubles court right away and start working on my game. Hope to see you out there. Bye.